0: The Old Testament reading for this, the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, comes from the prophet Jeremiah, the seventeenth chapter. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. For great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. For the, offering, the epistle reading comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, the 15th chapter. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And this is the word of the Lord. Be to God. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to Saint Luke, the sixth chapter. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We all love a good list, don't we? I mean, I can remember as a kid staying up late just to make sure that I caught David Letterman's top ten list, because that was the best part of the show. Internet sites clickbait people with things like, 20 simple steps to burn belly fat. You won't believe number seven. One of my absolute favorite features of modern technology is being able to shout, Alexa, add cream cheese to the shopping list and then having that list right there on my phone so I can't forget it when I'm at the store. We love lists of our favorite restaurants. We love lists of places we want to go. We have our honeydew lists, our bucket lists. I mean, lists are just the best. And many of the most popular pastors and televangelists and Christian publishing companies have caught on to this fact. And there is big money to be made in it. Preach a sermon on five steps to a happier life. Or write a Bible study called Ten Things God Wants You To Do. And I can just about guarantee you that you're going to outsell something like angelomorphic Christology, antecedents, and early evidence of the preincarnate Christ. Even if the content is much, much better in the latter one. Why? Because we love lists. And when it comes to religion, we especially love to-do lists. For all of its claims of loving freedom and individuality and autonomy, human nature loves an instruction sheet. It craves the orderliness of a list. We like to have a list of tangible, concrete things to do, and we love the satisfaction of checking off those boxes when we've done it. Why? Because we are goal-oriented. And when we complete a task, we can pat ourselves on the back for a job well done. And that makes it all about us, which is what we want. You know, take our gospel reading, for example, today. Jesus here is delivering a glorious proclamation of the gospel, of God's grace. The sermon is often called the Beatitudes, meaning the Blessings. But our sinful nature, wanting to make it all about us, wants these to be a list of how we are to be. Or as so many pastors cleverly but wrongly call them, the be-attitudes. We hear the words of Jesus Christ and we think this is a great to-do list. Blessed are the blank means be-blank. These are the be-attitudes. If we are good people, if we put God's word into action, if we do things just the way that God says, God will bless us. If we can just make ourselves poor enough, then the kingdom of God will be ours. If we can weep enough and be sufficiently miserable, then God will make our lives a joyous laugh fest. And we certainly do want to put the woe On the woe-inducing attitudes. We don't want to wind up inconsolable. And so, whoa. Make sure we're not too rich. We don't want to mourn and weep. So, whoa. Let's make sure we don't laugh too much now. We don't want to be like the false prophets. So, whoa. Do everything in your power. To make sure people don't speak well of you. If. Then, those are the conditions that we hear. We put conditions on God's beatitudes, on his blessings. And then, even worse, we convince ourselves that we can fulfill said conditions. Yes, I can make myself poor and thereby earn God's blessings. I can make myself hated and prove to God that I am worthy of his heavenly reward. I can keep myself from being too full and thereby force God to satisfy my hunger down the road. We take God's word and we make it into a to-do list. And we put ourselves in the driver's seat and say, If I do this, then God will do this. Now, certainly we should take God's word seriously. And yes, we should put it into action. We should strive to live by God's word and not seek the accolades of this sinful world. But we do so not to save ourselves, not to force God to bless us, not to prove to God that we are worthy of his kingdom because we take his list seriously. In fact, if we're actually taking his word seriously, we'll notice that this line of thinking is completely wrong. To look at God's word and see a to-do list that makes us in charge. How do we know that? Because God is extremely clear. Jeremiah says in the Old Testament reading, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Which is exactly what we do when we try to take the wheel, Jeremiah says he's like a shrub in the middle of the desert, shallow roots that rely on its own shade in order to keep itself alive. It might look good and refreshing. it might stand out from the crowd for a bit, but ultimately, it comes to nothing. It can't sustain itself, and so it withers and it dies. It dries up and it blows away like the rest of the desert dust all around it. That's what happens when we look to our own strength. That's what awaits us when we look to our own deeds, our good works, our be-attitudes for our salvation, or even if we're looking to those for the proof of our faith in salvation. By trusting in ourselves, by thinking that God blesses us when we be right, we are turning away from God and His promises of grace And we are cutting ourselves off from his righteousness because we think ours is sufficient. We think we're the ones who do it. We're the ones who earn it. We're the ones who make God do what we want him to do. But that's not it at all. This is not a list that says, be this to be blessed. But rather, this is Jesus Christ graciously saying, the world might only see this, but God is blessing. Beatitude means blessing, and a blessing is a free gift. A blessing is something that you don't earn. A blessing is given to you freely. Grammatically here, Jesus is not giving a command, he's stating a fact. He is not presenting an if-then situation. If you do this, then I will do this. He is proclaiming a state of being. The world sees hunger. And the world would say that being poor or hungry or sad or hated, that's the worst thing possible, and a loving God wouldn't do that to people. That's what the world sees. That's what Jesus says. When you're in that state, that's how the world is thinking. And so Jesus proclaims the glorious truth that his love doesn't depend on earthly metrics. He says if the world sees you as hungry or sad or poor, it hates you. But I don't. You are blessed, even in those situations. Looks can be deceiving. And while the world might think that you are despised because you're not rich and famous and happy, God is telling you, that you have his love forever. You are blessed. These are not the beatitudes telling you what you have to do in order to earn God's favor. These are the beatitudes, the glorious blessings that God is freely giving even to those who are despised by this world. Jesus isn't telling you what you have to do. He's proclaiming what God is doing constantly despite how it might look despite what your friends might tell you despite the Kardashian model that is held before you that says this is good life and being blessed while the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his, and makes flesh his strength is cursed blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord It's a very different situation. Unlike that scrubby shrub of self-righteousness withering in the desert, the man who trusts in the Lord instead of himself is like a tall tree with deep roots that drink deeply. Even in times of drought, even in times when it looks like there's no way that tree could survive, it drinks and it survives. It draws not from its own goodness and works and grandeur, but it drinks from God's refreshing waters of forgiveness and grace. And that stream never runs dry. God's blessings continually flow, even when the world around us hates us, even when the world says God isn't real and there's nothing he can do for you. The stream never ends. And the depth of God's love, the depth of that water is unfathomable. It can never be used up. It will never fail to sustain us. What God has done for us, it is far greater than anything that we could possibly do for ourselves. God has sacrificed himself to take away our sin. He laid down his life in misery and shame and pain and horror for you to take away your guilt to clothe you in his robe of righteousness, to pay your penalty that you never could. He has crushed the serpent's head and set us free from the devil. Not just calling it to draw, not just saying, well, tell you what, let's go 50-50 here. Crushing the serpent's head, destroying the ancient foe that enslaved us. He has broken the chains of death so that we can live forever. When he was laid in the tomb, he rose again and rolled back the stone so that the whole world could see he is not there, but he is risen as he said. And for all those who look to him in faith, they too will rise because his victory is our victory. He daily and richly blesses us in ways that we don't even notice. Things that we take for granted are bountiful from God's hand. The horrors that do not befall us are a blessing from God as he holds back the tide of evil and filth and wretchedness that wants to devour and destroy us. He is holy and righteous and omnipotent and eternal. He has created all things and all things are in his almighty hands and those hands are far, far more capable for saving this poor wretched sinner than I am. I always tell people, I can't even make toast without burning it. Why would I want to be in charge of my own salvation? God and God alone is worthy and powerful, and he does it freely. He blesses you. He gives you eternal life and forgiveness and salvation and does not leave it up to you to mess it up the way that you know you would. His works are perfect and holy. His atoning sacrifice is more than sufficient to pay the price of your sin. His grace is eternal and unquestionable, and it alone will never fail. Why would we want to put ourselves in charge of our salvation? Why would we want to take control? Why would we want to be the ones in charge when he has already done everything and done it perfectly? Jesus says, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the hated. And because of our stubborn, sinful nature, we want to hear, be poor, be hungry, be hated. But Jesus is not telling us here what we have to do in order to earn his blessing. He is telling us that we are blessed, even if it doesn't seem like it, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if we ourselves don't think we are. He's telling us that blessings are ours, not because of what we do, but because of what he has done for us. This is not a list of demands that must be fulfilled. This is your reality, thanks to the love of Jesus Christ. Yours is the kingdom of God. You shall be satisfied and laugh, and your reward is great in heaven not because you had the right be attitude, but because of the eternal grace of God proclaimed in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.